they're socialized in this imperfect space that has built a lot of injustice, inequality, and imbalance of power, access, and privilege. And unfortunately, we bring a lot of those unhealthy socialization with us through work and through many aspects of our day-to-day -day life. Today's episode of The Culture Crunch, where we unpack everything to do with good company culture within the tech space. Today, we are fortunate to be joined by Eugenia Chiang. Eugenia is a go-to-markets strategy and operations leader at high-growth organizations. Eugenia, welcome to Culture Crunch. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Karen. Thank you. And, and obviously, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Eugenia. And I'm really excited to discuss some really key pillars of good company culture today. Would you say that being in that environment whereby you have felt, in your own words, previously sidelined and almost, you know, have an imposter syndrome in certain situations, has that driven you to doing the work you do now, which is obviously so positively impactful to so many businesses. I mean, it, it, is that the kind of the, the fuel to your fire, so to speak? Yeah, I would definitely say yes. I think there is a lot of elements about feeling like no matter how hard I work, society and organizations overlook my contribution. Um, so there's definitely like a big element in me wanting to create that culture that is safe, trusting, and inclusive, where everyone, no matter who they are and what their background are, are able to feel heard, seen, and accepted. Personally, I have built teams kind of surrounded with that ethos in mind, and that is one where there is, again, a high sense of safety a high sense of trust, and a high sense of belonging. And what I've personally also found is that in that situation, people are more likely to be inspired to stretch and goal and to be more committed to working towards their own success and also the company's success. As you can see also in many facts that are out there, studies have proven over and over again on the value of having a diverse management team. In fact, there was one that was published by BCG recently stating that companies with a diverse management team leads to over 20% improvement in revenue comparing to their peers because of the innovation they're able to cultivate just from diverse opinions. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've all been in those meetings whereby it's a, a effectively an echo chamber where you have individuals that think alike and their experiences are very similar and as a result their outlooks very similar which is fantastic if everything is harmonious and wonderful but it also means that no one's looking at, after the blind spots which is obviously one of the valuable uh, attributes that having a diverse leadership team brings to the table it means that you're covering each other's back so to speak and and you're bringing different strengths which means someone else is you know you can rely on and lean on when it comes down to your weaknesses. But just going back, Eugenia, you know, talking about an environment where uh, individuals feel safe and included and heard and seen, is that the, the, the secret to a strong company culture, in your opinion? 
culture is just the social fabric for any social space that we're a part of. It is that set of unspoken rules that shape how we think, how we act, and how we relate to each other. I think we're moving in a direction where things are becoming more flexible, you know, more fluid. People are able to have more candid conversations with their seniors and, and vice versa. I think, you know, with COVID as well, with the working from home situation, we are blending more of our, our personal lives with our professional. But going back to your question, Eugenia, I, I, I do feel that we are still navigating tricky waters when it comes to a sense of perhaps bureaucracy and uh, unspoken rules but it's certainly better now than it than it was 14 years ago but it's great to kind of even see that transformation that you have personally experienced through kind of different i guess societal events that is driving kind of that change as you can kind of see, I think even in America, we have seen also kind of that shift into bringing that authentic self to work. Um, since COVID, you're now more incorporating a lot of personal life with work lives. It kind of just tends to blending a little bit more together and kind of driving, going back to kind of your initial question of like, what is good company culture and what is, makes it ineffective? To me, what I have found the company culture that is most effective is one where there is a high level of safety. There is high level of trust. There is that high level of belonging. And in those situations, individuals are more likely to feel like they can be themselves. Hence, they're more likely to be supportive of other people's and their team's goals and also the organization's goals. And what would be great about is when that company culture also is tied around the mission of the company. Let me share an example with you. I once worked for a leader, a disruptor in the customer experience space. And the company mission was about just improving customer experience through gathering individual customer feedback and analyzing the results at scale. And as a result of that company mission, the company's culture was very much embracing around the idea of being your authentic selves so that you're able to listen and share feedback as a way to support each other's growth journey. And because of that, I have often felt that sense of of company when I was at that company, I felt that the culture was very authentic, it was very collaborative, and it was very supportive. And to no surprise, the company ended up having a very successful IPO in 2019, where we're able to raise over $300 million, leading to a $2.5 billion in valuation. So it's really kind of that sense of building trust, building safety, and building belonging. And do you think, with those points that you've raised in terms of those tangible steps, you know, in order to achieve those that, you know, you are working towards a very strong company culture, do you think that the tech space, in your experience, Eugenia, do you think it is aligned with the pace that other industries are working towards 
a strong sense of company culture. Do you think we're behind? Do you think we're ahead of the curve? You know, we're ahead of the curve when it comes to technology, but when it comes to our people strategy, where do you think we are? I mean, in my limited exposure to other industries, just given based on what I've heard and hear, I'm you know, my 15 plus years of experience in tech and working with over 15 different companies. What I have felt, I think, in tech is just given that competitiveness around the need to accelerate through a performance. And that drives competition also within the talent pool. And also kind of that intense focus in driving motivation productivity and retention. That naturally lends itself to really focus around company culture and the need to ensure that people feel like they belong in the workplace so that they're able to contribute to their own success and also to the company's success. And so in terms of challenges, you know, challenges that are related to DEI and protecting and propelling it within the tech space? I mean, what, what do you think those challenges are, firstly? I mean, I think the first and foremost thing is, you know, we all live in a world in which we ingrain in our heads and we are socialized in this imperfect space that has built a lot of injustice, inequality, and imbalance of power, access, and privilege. And unfortunately, we bring a lot of those unhealthy socialization with us through work and through many aspects of our day-to-day life. Even let me share a couple examples I've even noticed on the Hunters and Unicorns series. And I know this is a forum where we are intentionally cultivating that sense of awareness in driving diversity and inclusion. But if you look a little bit closer to even the word hunters and unicorns, the word hunters has a little bit of a masculine connotation that is associated with it. Secondly, then we kind of dive a little bit deeper in terms of the guests that have been speaking on different parts of the series. Many of the CXO series are Caucasian men. And also many of the guests that were part of the 2020 Masters series also men. And it's not to say that you, the producers are intentionally looking out for men to speak on these forums. That's just representative of the pool of talent that is currently reflected in the B2B tech sales world. And then lastly, you can also dive a little bit deeper in terms of many sales management that I have read in my career and also reference in the podcast you may also notice that many sales leaders and many top performing reps have names that are also male. So there's a lot of just unpacking and relearning and just really just diving deep and just accepting that the world that we live in may not be as representative as the universe that we're a part of. And through which it gives us a little bit more time and space once we recognize it to really just start realizing and noticing all these little nuances and that kind of gets us to learn more about the facts that are out there and also just learn and hopefully learn a little bit more about the lived experience of other people who might be different from us 
And that helps us educate ourselves to be in terms of how we're carrying some of these biases in terms of our day-to-day -day life. So we're able to interrupt, as I would say, our biases and change our behavior accordingly. I think that's a really, really interesting point because that's where it begins. Before we can impact society or the systemic issues that are clearly apparent now as, 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 as ever, unfortunately, before we can look to impact that, what we can impact are our, our own biases and, and our own outlook and our own habits. And then that's the beginning of the positive change that we, we want to see. And, you know, just to take it back, even the, the whole concept of the Culture Crunch podcast was very much that. It's, you know, whilst the, the 3360s and the 2020, you know, great podcast with really, really interesting titans of the industry, it's not the most diverse. You know, let's be honest, it's not. So how can we address that? How can we have a, a plethora of voices and experiences um, with a platform and it starts with a conversation and essentially that's what I mean that's what excites me about this podcast that's what excites me about talking to thought leaders such as yourself Eugenia is it begins with a conversation and that conversation I think you know can then become a movement and it's the movement that can then change habits and change companies and change industries but it has to begin somewhere so just going back to, 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 to your point, I mean, what do you think organizations can do, tangible steps today to, to start driving that positive change? I think A, just accept that, that we carry our own sense of biases based on our lived experience to work. B, even though that this is part of kind of our learning and socialization process, we can take a proactive part in learning more about how it materializes in the workplace. And let me kind of share an example with you how the CRO of a high growth company that sells software compliance, audit, and risk management has kind of exemplified some of that aspect. I have shared my experience with him on what it felt like to be Again, a minority female working with a sales leadership that is predominantly male. And how some of those behavior that I experienced did not align with the company's values in cultivating inclusion and belonging. And the CRO exemplified the mastery of creating trust and safe culture as he really listened attentively and seek to understand what are some of the language that was used? What is some of the behavior that has been exhibited? As a way where he would take ownership as part of his job to model and also guide his team. Because he finds that it is important that diversity and inclusion is an important element for him to motivate, engage, and retain top talents at the company as a way for him to drive the team to lead to high performance. And in addition to just hearing more about from your hearing from your employees and also from others who have, may have different lived experiences, there's no shortage of facts about just how 
subconscious bias play out at work. And these are things around representation, compensation, and also how works get allocated. And let me give you a few examples. Aside from the lack of female representation at work, the percentage of African American and Hispanic American that is working at the tech sector is about half of the general U.S. population. Secondly, from a compensation standpoint, again, women makes about 75 cents to 85 cents to a dollar earned by men. Asian Americans, on average, made about 93 cents to a dollar earned by our compared to our Caucasian counterpart in high-wage occupations. Thirdly, from a work allocation standpoint, these are stats that are published by HBR stating that you know, women are more like, 20% more likely to be handling office housework and 40% less likely to be doing more impactful, high-visibility, high-impact work that helps them earn to the next level. But despite knowing some of these discouraging facts, there are things that we're able to proactively act on now that we're more aware of some of these subconscious biases. There are many companies that are out there that are helping with recruiting, training, promoting, and retaining diverse talents at the organizations. And that diversity needs to be represented, not even just at the bottom level. It has to be represented across the board, starting also at that board level, because that diverse views has to be coming from the whole entire organization. And then from a compensation standpoint, there are tangible check and balances that you can put in place to make sure that employees are paid fairly based on their impact that they're able to produce at work. Then lastly, from a work allocation standpoint, it is being a little bit more thoughtful and more intentional in terms of how you allocate both high visibility, high impact, and kind of low visibility, low impact, and mundane type work. And these are things such as who is taking meeting notes? How do you kind of distribute that around? Who is coordinating the next steps of meeting? And also who's kind of driving for some of these social events? As in my experience, a lot of those activities tend to be completed by many women like myself. And even elaborating on that, I have moved recently was coaching a set of high school students on developing a brand new business ventures. And what I found the most, I mean, you see a lot of that representation starting at age of 16 to 17. There's only like one or two girls that represented every single team of about five. So look at, you know, also that 20 to 40% racial. What was most interesting, the person who was constantly taking notes were also the girls on the team. Some of those social elements just start very much early on in our lives. And it's not just like something new. It's, it's so interesting because you're absolutely right. When you were giving those examples, I was thinking to myself, yep, I've seen that. Yes, it's, it, I, that's what happened, you know. And it's very interesting to, to see actually it begins way before individuals have entered the workplace, but actually through institutes of education that these sub subliminal biases are kind of take root. And then it's just a continuation of those things all the way through. So by the time individuals have been working for five, 10 or 15 years, it, it's already too late.
So I, I guess from, from, from a business perspective, those are really, really helpful, tangible things to look out for and, and to course correct at, uh, as soon as possible. Eugenia, we know, we've obviously spoken before and we're both very passionate about what it takes to create a good company culture. But to our viewers, I mean, can you articulate sort of why this is so important? We know it's the right thing to do, but can you expand on, on the other positive implications of driving a company culture? The companies are able to create a more a safer, a more trusting, and a more belonging workplace. That is not only for a subset group of individuals, but it really embraces that cultural elements across the whole entire company. And is really embracing that sense of seeing the culture through the eyes of every single employees. And there's reason why all those three elements are important. And kind of let's break down what all some of those elements means. Diversity to me, to me means diverse representation. This is when someone is walking into any space or meeting, they can find someone that they can relate to. And it goes beyond the ultra layers of someone's identities, such as gender, race, or age. And also going towards some of the inner layers of identity that may not be as obvious, such as socioeconomic background, education background, previous professional experience, cultural upbringing, and sexual orientation. And kind of having that someone they can relate to kind of gives that sense of safety. Then equity to me, is, to me means that this is a space where anyone feel like they can find success at the company and that their voice can be heard and incorporated as part of the decision-making process. And that they also, their work is, they feel like their work is valued, appreciated, and also recognized. And lastly, that sense of inclusion means that they are feel that sense of belonging because there are other people that they can connect with at the company. And let me share an example with you, kind of how that might play out in the workplace. I have worked for a high growth HR leader in the software space. What the company diligently measures the gender and racial makeup of the organization. And as a result of that, the company was a lot more diverse than many other tech companies that I've worked with in my career. Through that, I felt much a higher sense of just comfort and ease walking into a room, just knowing that there is someone across all levels that I can connect with. And in fact, at that time, half of their executive staff were female. That also kind of gives me, makes it easier for me to communicate my ideas and drive tangible impact. And in fact, the company was implementing a strategy that I was recommending that would enable them to increase the revenue 50 plus percent year on year. And kind of taking to that point, you know, why is it important for organization to embrace that practice? We have seen studies over and over again that a diverse environment leads to much better team performance and company performance. McKinsey also recently did another study that has indicated that 
companies with a more in the top quartile of having that diverse representation is 25% more likely to have higher profitability than their peers who do in the bottom 25% quartile of, in terms of diverse representation. And what that might lead to is because there are just certain strategic and operational and cultural elements needs to be in place for the companies to be taking in a lot of just diverse opinions. The company needs to be able to embrace that growth mindset where everyone is open to listening, to learning, and understanding. And for diverse opinions to be effective, it also forces the company to have a well-thought-out decision-making process so that voices are heard and decisions can be made in an efficient manner. And lastly, diverse opinions uncovers risks and opportunities so that companies are more likely to adapt to market changes. And in my experience, I have found it important to embrace a lot of those elements early on in the startup phase so that there's a time to test and learn strategy that works for that specific organization. B, there's time to also build repeatable and scalable processes as the company grow and scale. I find that it also eases that transition to the public market as investors are looking at company more and more to create value through the lens of people, planet, and profit. So essentially, it's not just the right thing to do from, a, from an ethical and a moral and a, and a cultural standpoint and also an engagement stand, standing, but also statistically speaking, the results speak for themselves. It also drives positive business outcomes as well. There's already plenty of reasons as to why companies should be driving DEI, but essentially there's an, another, a, another reason added to that pile as well. And who, I guess my next question to you, Eugenia, is who should be the one advocating this? You know, we've talked about it from the business perspective. From a business perspective, what can leaders do to really propel forward uh, an environment which supports DEI? But I suppose to those individuals out there, to our viewers who, who are watching this, can, can they participate in this as well? Yeah, definitely. I do think this is one where once you see the facts and understand how it impacts everyone individually, how it impacts the environment of the team and the organization, Here's one where I do believe that anyone can participate in it. And I do see it kind of playing in both ways. There's a little bit of tops down where the leader could be creating that trust and safe and belonging environment. And that sets as a foundation where then everybody, in the, every individual at the organization feels safe to open up and to share and to also just generate creative ideas on how they can continue to collaborate to create that uh, trusting environment as a whole. It's so infiltrated, isn't it? That the, the, the gender imbalance, it, it's penetrated so many different elements of society and life and education and then work. It's actually far more 
far-reaching than I ever anticipated. And I, and I think that's true for many of you who are watching this, are going to know that there's a gender imbalance, but I don't think everyone is you know, as acutely aware as you and, to, and, to how, and how systemic that really is. Which just goes to show how important conversations like this are. Because once we have that knowledge and that information, we're then more informed to be able to proactively take measures to combat that. Eugenia, you know, talking to you today, as always, has been so, so insightful and informative and interesting. Everything that you discussed from the systemic challenges which DEI, cultivating a strong culture around DEI faces, to essentially understanding the tangible steps that organizations can do to help combat issues and problems deriving from bad culture, but then also as individuals as well, what, what measures we can be taking. And also just really cementing that awareness point in things that we, we're looking at for some red flags, but then there are other red flags that I think we weren't looking for. And, and putting that on our radar is incredibly powerful and enabling. So thank you for sharing that information with us. Eugenia, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that unfortunately we are coming to the end of, of our time together. Um, it always comes by so quickly. But before we, we, we finish, is there anything else that you'd like to add in terms of how best we can drive good company culture within the tech space or, or within any, any industry? Yeah, kind of similar to what I have repeated over and over again. It is accepting a little bit of it is what it is. But through acceptance, you can gain awareness so you can also drive change in behavior. And again, studies have shown over and over again that companies with tangible DEI practices are more likely to have higher performing teams and better company results. And a lot of interrupting and changing behavior in society also aligns with just text ethos in challenging status quo and creating a better future for all of us. And that's another way where I think tech can also play a role in that societal change as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Eugenia. Thank you again for your time, for sharing your experience and your journey. Um, you've, you've provided some real insight into what companies can do to really drive good company culture and really specifically address the inequalities around uh, the gender imbalance, but also all, all imbalances uh, that exist today from a DEI perspective. I look forward to our, our next conversation, Eugenia. Um, until then, on behalf of myself, the Culture Crunch team, and of course, all of our viewers, thank you so much. Thank you to our viewers, our listeners for joining us today on behalf of the Culture Crunch. Thank you to Eugenia Chang for her time. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye.